Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages every week. These powerful messages are sure to inspire you and keep you on track. Whether it's our late founder, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, or any of your favorite fellowship leaders worldwide, including Pastors Joe Campbell, Paul Stevens, Mark Olson, Tom Payne, Harold Warner, Richard Ruby, and many more, get ready to hear from God through this message. A, uh, a pivotal point in what they're going to do Peter has getting Gentiles saved. There is a question about uh, what, uh, how they're going to fit into God's plan. And uh, they have a council in Jerusalem, as they have the council in Jerusalem. They're trying to come to a game plan or fit in. How does it fit in for the Gentiles? Uh, who are obviously getting saved, they are getting healed with miracles, uh, and they're not a part of the Jewish race, and so this council comes together, and this is the setting that we're going to read about tonight. Tom Brokaw, some years ago, wrote a a book called The Greatest Generation, and as he wrote that book, he documents... uh, the amazing story of World War II. In World War II, the uh, world was in crisis. It was a pivotal point in human history. The United States of America uh, was brought into a war on two fronts, one in the Pacific, one into Europe. They literally saved the world. You're an Englishman, well, that's a shot to your pride, but nevertheless, uh, if it wasn't for America, you'd be speaking proud right now. <laughs> Twelve million Americans were under arms, and I don't think uh, there was a population of even 200 people in America at that time. So Tom Brokaw documents that just common people rose to the challenge, came under arms, in this pivotal moment entered into this conflict, uh, and as they entered into that conflict, uh, they literally saved the world from the assault from Japan, their aim to take over the entire Pacific, the assault from Germany that intended to take over all of Europe, and had England in very, very difficult circumstances, had occupied most of Europe, uh, even down into Africa. This was a generation that Tom Brokaw documented the astonishing and amazing story that they rose to the task uh, and uh, began to do what needed to be done. And he documents that as the greatest generation. Now here in our text, there's a turning point. And as we look at that for a moment, uh, God is poised to change the course of their understanding into the evangelization 
of the Gentiles. As you and I sit in this building, God is poised to change the course of what he's doing in this present generation and the fulfillment of his purpose in the earth. Jesus talks about signs of the times or fixed turning points in history. As Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and the day of Pentecost began to declare, he began to declare, this is that. I'll mention that as we move on into our text. Acts chapter 15, this is the setting in verse 13. After they had become silent, James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written after this, uh, I will return. Uh, after this, I will, I will return. Lost my place for a moment. And take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the apostles, uh, prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things, known to God. From eternity are all his works. I want to preach to you about the greatest generation for a moment. First of all, I want you to consider with me a prophetic fact. Here in this passage of scripture, there is a prophetic fact that is distinctly framed in biblical history. This is a time frame, or you could say this is a dispensation that God has ordained. And in the scripture, Jesus speaking to the disciples shortly after his resurrection and says, times and seasons which God has put in his own authority. So in other words, as we're considering this, there is an ordained divine purpose and that ordained divine purpose is known to God, verse 18, from eternity are all his works. Or in other words, what that scripture says in which James quoted, that what God was doing was nothing that was spur of the moment. Or in other words, he was going in one direction. All of a sudden, things happen, and so he changes course, but he's emphasizing that this is a divine moment uh, and this is clearly defined uh, in the scripture uh, that God will destroy the tabernacle of David. Lock your mind into that statement for a moment. This is a specific statement that frames uh, what we want to understand tonight. Uh, David's uh, uh, tabernacle is David's house uh, or it is uh, David's uh, heritage uh, or it is David's dynasty. This is what's meant by those words, the tabernacle of David. In the book of 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4, God has given to David a promise. 
Let me read it to you. Then the Lord, that the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning, uh, 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 concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. Listen, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So what we're dealing with then is a specific moment. We're dealing with a specific framing of divine purpose. And as we're looking at that tonight, there's a divine order. order. Now you'll remember the story. God sends Samuel to Jesse's household to anoint one of his sons uh, as the king of Israel. He didn't tell him which one. He lines up the oldest uh, and uh, the, the uh, age following that. Uh, he's just about to anoint Eliab, which is the oldest. Uh, and God says, that's not him. And he works through the sons, uh, all that are present, and he says... Uh, uh, don't you have any other sons? Because this is not what well, he says. Yes, I have. I have this shepherd boy. He said, call him, bring him in. The moment he brought him in, God said, "This is the one. I have a purpose for him." And He anointed him as king. And here we have a tremendous story about a prophetic fact. God spoke to David and said to him, "Because you pleased me." You're going to have a dynasty. You're going to have a heritage. You're going to have a tabernacle, as it were, your household. Never to lack a man sitting on the throne if they will obey me. So let's think about that for a moment uh, as, we're, uh, as, we're, uh, as we're considering that. What we have is God setting in place a structure through which God could move uh, in the household of David. There are several distinctive points about this. When David came to the throne, the Bible says that he sent down six miles to get the Ark of the Covenant upon which dwelt the Shekinah glory and the ten tablets. Saul had reigned, and the Ark of the Covenant was within six miles of Jerusalem, but Saul had no interest for that, but David did. When he comes to the throne, he sends and gets the ark, brings it back because he wants the presence of God in the Shekinah glory, and this is a factor that works into this. So let's think for a moment because what we're dealing with is a time of evident favor. In David's reign, there is a favor from God. There is a dominion. There is success over their enemies. There's territorial expansion. There is a conquest. And so what we have then is a divine direction and a framework moving through a man that becomes the heritage of David whereby God can accomplish his purpose. Now, if you're a Bible student, you'll understand that Solomon became the epitome of David's household and David's heritage. God gave him wisdom. God gave him uh, glory. God gave him influence. God gave him prosperity. Such an evident blessing of God 
fell upon the tabernacle of David, that the fame of that went out through the entire region. The queen of Sheba heard about this. She came up bringing a trainload of gifts in gold and silver and seized the glory of Solomon, which is sitting on the throne of David. And she seized that. She said, I'd heard about that. Now I see it, and the half has not yet been told. Fasten with me upon one significant fact. That is revealed as Solomon takes the throne. God appears to Solomon and says to him, What do you want? Tell me what you want. Now think about that for a moment. uh, And I have no doubt that if God asked you what you want, uh, there would be a single focus. Most of it would be money. What do you want? You want your enemies killed? Do you want yourself exalted so that uh, everybody admires you? What is it that you want? And Solomon said something is the hallmark uh, of David's kingdom in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He said these words, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours uh, and the speech uh, pleased the Lord uh, that Solomon had asked this thing. So here now is we're thinking about the tabernacle of David. Here is one significant fact uh, as his uh, uh, son Solomon ascends the throne uh, This is going to be the hallmark of the tabernacle of David, people first. Lock that into your mind. I want to talk to you, secondly, about the opportunity that this passage of Scripture affords in prophecy. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is the catalyst that is going to bring this to pass in prophecy. And... As we read the scriptures, Jesus Christ is uh, the son of David. In the Bible, in his, uh, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 8 and verse 10, said, Therefore, he said, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, uh, and he gave gifts to men. Verse 10, he who descended uh, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens uh, that he might feel all things. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And Revelation 3, verse 7 says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So here's our Lord Jesus Christ His coming then is going to be a catalyst that according to the prophecy is going to fulfill this promise that God gave to David that he's never going to lack a son to set upon the throne. And Jesus Christ comes into the world, dies for sinners, is buried, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. And the work has begun of the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David, and in that rebuilding is a spiritual awakening of Israel. 
So let's look at that for a moment uh, because what we have in a prophecy here is a worldwide move of God. Stay with me for a moment. That uh, is going to be this rebuilding, a flood of blessing upon the world. Uh, Acts 15, verse 17, back to our text. uh, So that the rest of mankind uh, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles uh, who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So here we have it then. Jesus Christ comes uh, according to the prophecy. Uh, He begins the rebuilding, and he begins the rebuilding with the Jewish people. But the Bible says uh, that an interesting thing about that, after his initial uh, taking of the pouring out of blessing of this wonderful salvation, uh, that blindness happens to Israel, and most of them do not receive this wonderful move of God, but it moves to the Gentiles. So what we're talking about then, if you follow me, is a time frame. And this is going to be a God-ordained time frame for a large-scale revival and move of God, which is prophesied in the Bible. Come with me to the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. The Bible says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he's given you the former rain faithfully, and he'll cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So here we have Joel picks this up, moves this into, and in agricultural terms begins to prophesy about what God has, uh, has uh, given in a time frame on planet earth. Uh, and remember, this is going to be among the Gentile. In the book of Joel, chapter 2, uh, verse 28, uh, we find again this is picked up. Uh, and it shall come to pass afterward uh, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Uh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Uh, and also on my men servants and on my maidservants, uh, I'll pour out my spirit uh, in those days. Most Bible scholars uh, agree that the Bible prophesies uh, a glorious uh, outpouring of God's Spirit uh, in the last days upon the entire earth uh, that is an awakening, uh, that is a harvest beyond comprehension, uh, and these are words uh, that are spoken about. They have the early and the latter rain. These are significant statements. The early rain uh, brought the seed uh, to sprout, uh, and the uh, latter rain brought the harvest to fruition. uh, And this is spoken about uh, an acceleration of a harvest uh, that God is going to bring of precious souls uh, that will believe uh, in Jesus Christ. This is prophesied, and this is where Acts 15 is taken from in the book of Amos chapter 9. This is what James quotes As he quotes that, he says, uh, uh, we needn't wonder that the Gentiles are getting saved because this is prophesied in the Bible. uh, And let me read that text, uh, Amos chapter 9, verse 11. On that day, can these lights be turned a little bit higher? If they are, turn them up for me because uh, my eyes are getting dim. I'm getting a little older, I see. (laughs) On that day... uh, 
I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I'll raise up its ruins and rebuild it as the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. So let's think about that for a moment because here we have a prophetic destiny for planet Earth. And as we have that, we have the early and the latter reign. And so if we bring this into then a biblical perspective, the former reign happened on the day of Pentecost. When Peter stood up to preach at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When he stood up to preach, he said these were, This is that. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And as we have the former reign at Pentecost, then this is that. And he picks up this statement of the early and the latter reign. In James chapter 5 and verse 7, if we'll follow through this thought. The Bible says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, to, for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. So here we have then this, uh, this dispensation that God began this work, began on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it is still going on today, and that dimension has not been fulfilled. It's going on right now in planet Earth, and God is poised uh, to bring this to pass uh, and bring it to fruition with uh, the latter rain. Catch a passage of Scripture with me, uh, and this is found uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 25. And it says there about the fullness of the Gentiles. This is not the times of the Gentiles, that not the statement, that it also is there. It's the fullness of the Gentiles. In the book of Romans, chapter 11 and verse 25, it says that that fullness of the Gentiles is that great harvest that God has ordained, and it uses this specific statement, until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. What does that mean? That means uh, that God has a plan for the Gentiles, uh, and that plan for the Gentiles is a full harvest, uh, and when the last Gentiles has bowed their knee to Jesus Christ, uh, the scene changes. Uh, it moves back to Israel uh, for their part uh, in the fulfillment of God's plan before the millennium. So let's think about that for a moment because what we're talking about is the full number of the Gentiles. Uh, lock that in and keep with me until I finish tonight. So what we're talking about is our time. I'm a Gentile. Any, any Gentiles in here? If you're a Jew, thank God. You need to thank God because you're one of the very rare uh, in planet Earth because most of the Jews have the blindness uh, has happened to them until the last Gentile gets saved. This is our time now. We're still in that dispensation. Stay with me. It is not seen its fullness yet. And when Peter stood up and began to proclaim, this is that, this is that is still now today. This is our time. Can you say amen? And this is what we're gathered here tonight about. So let's get to the point for a moment. 
as we move into our challenge, uh, I want to point out to you several things that are, uh, that are significant about G- uh, David and his dynasty or his tabernacle or his house. One of the things that was very peculiar and notable about David was the ability to shape men. When David was running from Saul, he gathered to him a group of men. They were a hodgepodge, a bobtail, as one author has said, mess of men, 400 of them. We read it in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. And everyone who is in distress, anybody here in distress tonight? Anybody been in distress? Uh, everyone who is in debt, that'll take most of you in. And everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captive over them, and there were about 400 men with him. When it says uh, everyone that was in debt, in Bible days, uh, when people got in debt and they could not pay their bills, they put them in prison until either a relative or some sympathetic soul. And so this is the, the, uh, the seriousness of that. These people who were dispossessed, many of them were dysfunctional, many of them perhaps were headed for prison, gathered themselves to David, and David begins to shape these men for a kingdom purpose. You can read this story. They did exploits for the kingdom of God. The Bible lists mighty men. Think with me for a moment about this because this is a spiritual point And these mighty men were not afraid to risk their lives. That's a very rare thing. Can you say amen? They were not afraid to put their lives on the line. As the New Testament said, these men who gambled their lives, these men were not afraid to put their lives on the line. Note just a couple of these. One slew two lions like men of Moab. Think about those statements. Here are two men of Moab, and they weren't just common human beings. They were fierce warriors that loved to kill. And one of David's mighty men took both of them on and killed both of them. He wasn't afraid to die. It says about one of these mighty men, he slew a lion in a snowy pit. Now think about that for a moment. A lion is a pretty active creature. But it goes to emphasize this is a snowy pit where it's difficult to keep your footing. And this man went down in this snowy pit. Or in other words, what we're saying, these were men that loved to take a challenge and weren't afraid to risk their lives to do it. Can you say amen? That's David's men. Another of these men went down and confronted an Egyptian. It gives a a statement from him, a giant from Egypt. And this giant had a, a, a mighty spear in his hand. And this mighty man had no weapon. All he had was a shepherd's staff. And he went down and confronted him. And as he confronted him, maneuvered, jerked it out of his hand and slew him with his own spear. That takes guts. Can you say, wow? What's the point? The point is that David took a ragtag, bobtail group of men, no direction, no purpose, shaped them into a powerful force, and we have the record, let's come to you and I. 
There's a challenge that we have tonight, and that challenge is to engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the Gentiles, the Bible says, who are called by my name or upon whom my name is called. Joel chapter 2 verse 32. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. In the book of Romans chapter 10, 12, and 13, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now follow now with my thinking. You have probably heard me say before, I believe that God has raised up our fellowship and positioned us for that time. Are you following me? I've believed that for a number of years. We are a very, very peculiar fellowship. I'm not talking about funny looking. Although some of you fit into that category. We are a distinctive fellowship that fits in with a number of things here. One of these things is, uh, these uh, unique, uh, the unique facets, uh, is we are not a fellowship of professional preachers. I preached in an earlier sermon, uh, probably a month ago, that I, I don't know of maybe uh, two or three of our uh, pastors uh, that have gone to any formal schooling to become a pastor. They uh, were developed in the school of ministry and discipleship uh, and can preach as good as anybody that I've ever heard on planet Earth. That's unique. Stay with me. Because professional preachers uh, bring with them certain other things uh, that many times uh, are detrimental. The Bible says that David uh, did the will of God or fulfilled uh, the will of God uh, in his generation or served the will of God in his generation. We are a disciple-making fellowship. Now, if you would say that in the religious world, they will say, we're making disciples too. But you're not making disciples like God makes disciples. Many sincere people doing a good work for God, doing the best they can. But we are a disciple-making fellowship, and that's different than going to a seminary, going to a Bible school, going to other kinds of practices. Here's David's 400 men. Think about that. He shapes these uh, into a disciplined, uh, into a focused group of men. They're not afraid to lay their lives down They actually enjoy risking and picked out any circumstance that they could. As you read, I just barely touched on the surface of that. And so what we have then is the shaping of men. Our fellowship is shaped out of the hippie movement. You know what a hippie movement is? You probably heard me say we had a man come to our church, bring his dog, Deliberately hoping we'd throw him out. And we just said, man, welcome dogs. You know, dogs can answer altar calls too. (laughs) 
We actually, in the early days, had hippies that came. You could have chairs set up. They didn't want to sit in the chairs. They want to sit on the floor. They're true hippies, you know. It's cool. It's cool sitting on the floor. Actually, one of our premier pastors, Harold Warner, when he got baptized, he wanted to be baptized naked. <laughs> I don't know if that reveals a deep... Uh, who knows? But we have been able to, by the grace of God, shape and form men into a powerful force for God to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Stay with me now. Let's reason for a moment. Because Joel's prophecy, if it had already been fulfilled, when Peter said, this is that, it was indeed that. But it wasn't all of that. Reason with me. Because... If that fulfilled the prophecy, then God left out the majority of verse population of 7 billion souls because there's more people alive on planet Earth now than have ever lived on planet Earth. So that's very poor planning. You still with me? That's very poor planning if the day of Pentecost and the short period of time is all of it, but there, uh, uh, God has a plan, and this is what the Scripture says, known unto God are His purposes from the beginning of time. I preached a sermon recently, and I re- remarked about the, the heavenly the planets. You know, when people start talking about the galaxies and the galaxies and the light years, and they go, I get dizzy, you know, I say, and I made a statement, just consider that. When I consider the heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take note of him? And I made this statement, uh, God makes no small plans. Are you still with me? God makes no small plans. This is the plan of God, and this plan is the saving uh, of the Gentiles. He has other plans for Israel that after we're that. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is God's plan for us because this is that and it's this is that tonight. I think it was a conference ago. I read you some quotes from China. Thrilling things going on in China. 1.3 billion souls and in this article stating that in some cities, churches of thousands are gathering together in the face of a government in some places that restricts that. And I want to make a statement, probably the greatest single potential in the world today is China. So let's think about this for a moment, because this challenge is for you and I sitting in this building tonight. This is a prophetic dimension is the tabernacle of David uh, began in Jesus Christ. uh, The Spirit poured out to initiate it and will be finished when Jesus Christ comes again. Consider with me for a moment. You know, there are all kinds of things that are kicking around the world. You can ignore the doomsday prophecy. You know, 
America's in. This is the last day. The money's ruined. There's no hope. It's a, let's, uh, let's get a cave. Let's, uh, let's get a missile silo. Let's hold our... Forget all of that. This is God's hour. Can you say amen? This is God's hour. Pastor Campbell spoke about money. I want to tell you, God is the God of money. Can you say amen? He controls it. The silver is here. The gold is here. All the wealth of the world is here. What we need to focus on is what is God doing in the planet Earth. And that's the challenge that we have tonight. Uh, and we need to focus on that. One other scripture I want to share. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 11. Paul writes, uh, Now all these things happened to them as examples uh, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. He's writing about the Gentile believers in the churches. And he makes this statement that God did work in their behalf. Hebrews even talks about that. But he makes this statement that you and I in this dispensation... All these happen to teach us and to give us an example, us uh, upon whom the ends, multiple, the ends uh, of the world have come. That draws a picture of me of two ends of a rope hanging down that you take it and tie the ends together. And that's what God has called you and I for tonight is to tie it all together in this generation. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. No one moving around for a moment. This is the hour. You tonight can... Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.